Hey everyone, welcome in to another daily editorial here on the KE Report. We're chatting resource stock portfolio management with Gwen Preston, editor of the Resource Maven newsletter. We're also going to touch on the Metals Investor Forum coming up in Toronto, March 1st and 2nd in terms of what Gwen is presenting there, as well as the companies she is featuring at that conference. Gwen, let's start off by recapping your last presentation at the last Metals Investor Forum focused on portfolio management when it comes to investors spreading out their bets across different metals when they are diving into the underlying stocks. Give us a quick recap, please, of that presentation in terms of how you are looking at portfolio management within these wide range of metals sectors. Yeah, for sure. Um, There's kind of two sides to this portfolio management concept, uh, or you can break it into two halves, so to speak. And one half is the is the risk consideration. So that pertains to the individual stocks and what levels of risk you want to play. That wasn't really what I discussed at MIF, but that's also a really important consideration not to to, to make sure you're aware of which arenas of which um parts of the risk spectrum make sense for you and and how you want to spread spread yourself across that risk spectrum. What I talked about at MIF was more about it's easy to fall in love with a metal, to fall in love with gold, to fall in love with silver, or copper, uranium, whatever it might be, and to sort of go all in on that. And it's it often happens, you know, you read there's a moment in time when maybe there's a a, a flush of articles that are very bullish on the outlook for copper. And the outlook for copper is bullish. And so you read those and you're like, that makes so much sense. And then it's easy to get drawn into that and to pile into copper. While that can make sense if you don't have the need for your portfolio to generate returns in the near term, um, it doesn't necessarily make sense for most people because most of us do need a range of timelines to return within our portfolio. So what I encourage is for people to really think about each metal and what are the reasons for each metal to perform on what timelines. And so if we just run through the major metals right now, so if we have gold, um, then we have base metals. I lump silver into base metals. That's a whole other debate, I'm sure. But for me, silver gets lumped into base metals. So gold, base metals, and uranium. Let's just talk about those three categories. Okay, so uranium, happening right now. <laughs> we could have a long conversation about uranium. I still, I certainly believe that there is a lot of room left for this uranium bull market to go. This uranium bull market is happening because there is not supply. Utilities cannot buy the the uranium that they need. And there just is no short-term answer to fix that supply gap. So that isn't going to get fixed in 2024. It isn't going to get fixed in 2025. The supply gap is not only that there isn't enough uranium in the world to meet the world's uranium needs. It's exacerbated by the fact that the nuclear, the uranium market is being divided into two halves, right? And so, you know, 60% of the world's uranium or 40% of the world's uranium comes from Kazakhstan. Guess what? Even though officially... U.S. utilities can still buy uranium from Kazakhstan. That is coming to an end. You know, there's a bill in front of the Senate right now that is held up not because of a debate about the uranium side, but because in a classic U.S. fashion, it's tied up with a bunch of other things. Um, So it's being held up because of those other things. But there's bipartisan support for a ban on Russian uranium. 
This is Kazakh uranium, but it comes out of Kazakhstan through the port of St. Petersburg. So it is, for all intents and purposes, Russian uranium. So there's this clear divide happening in the market. There's going to be eastern pounds that only go east and primarily serve China, but also, you know, the countries in that block. And then there's going to be western pounds that serve the west. At the moment, America consumes 48 million pounds of uranium a year and makes essentially none itself. It gets a roughly half of the pounds that it needs from what you can call friendly countries, certainly led by Canada and Australia. But the other half has a huge question mark around it. There's no quick answer to that question mark. So I have a lot of confidence that this uranium bull market has a lot of room left to run. I understand that those who aren't participating yet might hesitate because, oh my goodness, the price has already doubled in a year, but there's going to be more um fire left for this for this market. So that's uranium. And I think that when a market is happening now, because there are clear fundamental like supply demand reasons for the market to continue moving and it's an essential commodity, you can't like swap uranium out for something else, then you can play across the spectrum. You can play the early stage explorers if you want that potential for dramatic returns on discovery but you're carrying the risk right now those early stage explorers have hardly participated in the uranium market um or you can all the way to the other end of the spectrum you can play the chemicals the companies that are in the process of putting old mines in america back into production so that's the encore energies the uranium energies the energy fuels people like that they have already gotten a lot of attention their share prices are already up somewhere between 100 and 300%, but they will go higher. So when a market is happening, you can lean in, you can play across the risk spectrum. It's all good. It's all on the table. Then we need to consider gold and base metals and what the drivers are to make those markets move and when those drivers might come into play. Gold is a probably a more simple one because the driver is rate cuts. Gold had a fantastic fun run to new all-time highs in December because Jerome Powell made clear that he wants to cut rates in 2024. The market got excessively excited about that promise, decided there were going to be six rate cuts in 2024, and they were going to start almost right away. And so gold ran to all-time highs because gold reliably rises when rates are coming down. Of course, reality has since come home to roost on that. It's now clear to me that rate cuts are not going to happen until the middle of the year at the earliest, perhaps not even until the fall. I think that there's a lot of signs of strength in the economy. And Jerome Powell does not, and his friends at the FOMC, do not want to risk cutting too early. That it's far worse for them to cut too early and cause damage, which would be in the form of a return to inflation, than it is for them to wait a little bit extra within this really resilient economy um, and see things slow down a bit. No one's going to fault them really for that. So gold is a bit delayed. Um, even six weeks ago when I was speaking at the Metals Investor Forum in Vancouver in January, the beginning of January, I was like so excited. I thought gold was going to happen sooner, but the data for the economic data keeps coming in strong. And so now I don't think rate cuts are going to happen all that soon. So I think the gold market is likely to happen in the fall, which is exciting, but it's not until the fall time. And so that's important to keep in mind. If you see Barrick, Oceana Gold, whatever your favorite gold major is, trading really low based on any way that you cut the metrics, it's a, it's certainly a buying opportunity, but you have to keep in mind 
the timeline for that buying opportunity. That buying opportunity isn't going to turn into gains in your portfolio until the gold market moves. And the gold market is not going to move until rates are cut. And I don't think rates are going to get cut until later in the year. So just don't expect it to happen tomorrow. Then the base metal side of thing is actually the more sort of interesting and less clear one. And I say that because of this economic resilience, you know, the the economy is chugging along. And that is actually pulling the base metal argument sooner. What I mean there is that we have clear supply gaps for silver and for copper going forward. And the longer we remained in this sort of sloshing sideways, no one was really sure what the economy was doing um, market, nobody was going to buy into those supply gaps. People buy base metals when they're positioning for economic growth, when they want their portfolios to be ready to benefit from the things that rise when economies are growing. As mentality shifts toward, okay, this is resilient, the the economy is growing, then that mentality will start to show up. And so more people will position for these supply gaps in copper and silver and other base metals. So that opportunity is coming forward. I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow. This is a mentality shift and mentality shifts are sort of by definition slow, but it's coming. And so what I think is interesting when you pull gold and base metals together then is you know, over the next little while, we could well end up with a multi-metal bull market, which would be the best because the multi-metal market is always better than, you know, gold trying to make a run for it on its own. And that would happen if we have a resilient economy where investors position for growth. A key way to do that is to buy into base metals, especially because they are significantly undersupplied. We have significant supply gaps only a few years out for major metals. And metals start to go and then gold gets to go along for the ride. Rate cuts or just no more rate hikes, whichever that ends up being, gold gets to go along for the ride. And the point is that investors start thinking about metals because the metals sector is dreary these days. And the main reason it's dreary is because investors just aren't thinking about metals. So if we do get a mentality shift towards growth and investors start thinking about metals, that's the shift that could propel this all forward. All of that, I don't think is happening tomorrow. And that's what I think investors need to just remember. Yes, valuations are low. Yes, this is absolutely a buying opportunity. But keep in mind that the timeline is not tomorrow. It is sort of evolving. It is still maybe half a year out. And so just hold on to that. Make sure that that's part of your rationale as you come up with your um, arguments for what you want to buy. Well, Gwen, I think that was a nice overview of really all the different areas there from the precious metals to the base metals to uranium. You dove in a little bit deeper on the uranium side of things, so I won't go there because I think you did a great job unpacking really all the areas are in play. But when you let's just isolate it to something like copper or nickel in the base metals, people are table pounding bullish on the supply demand situation. But like you say, that doesn't mean it's happening now. Uranium is happening now, but clearly copper and nickel aren't yet. And when you look at those kind of base metals, you can also look at the producers. Like if you look at something like COPEX, C-O-P-X, which is the ETF that has a lot of the biggest copper producers and base metal producers, they've actually done great the last couple of years. If you look at they've held on to their gains from the big runs from 2020 into 2022, and they've kind of just channeled sideways. But when you look at the juniors, copper juniors, nickel juniors, with a few exceptions, 
Most of them are in the basement. So are you positioning more in the earlier stage explorers? Do you like the development stage companies that have pounds in the ground and are, are set up for the optionality? Or are you playing some of the producers in something like the base metals? So, yeah, that's the that is certainly the other side of the timing conversation. And so my answer on that, it has two sides. One is that ex- discoveries work no matter the market. You can, if you make a great copper discovery, it will return major benefit to your shareholders, even in a terrible copper market. We've seen that next gen made its discovery in a terrible uranium bear market, and it has done phenomenally well. Um, so a true discovery will work no matter the market. So even though I don't think that um, we're going to see like a raging copper bull market, you know, in kickoff really in 2024. I'm happy to buy pre-discovery explorers that I think um, have good odds, as good as you can get, <laughs> odds of making a significant discovery, because that's a big part of what I do. I try to figure out which geologists have found great targets that have a great chance of turning moose pasture into riches. And so exploration can work no matter what's happening with that metal market. So happy to play that no matter what's going on. The others, the developers, the producers, I'm not in a rush to buy those right now. I think I spend enough time watching the market that I'm going to get a sense of when the copper market starts to go. And I'm happy to put money into developers and producers when that copper market starts to move. But I don't need my money to be sitting there while these markets, as you just said, just move sideways. So again, this is I, I really am leaning into this thinking about timing and being very aware of timing and not letting your money just sit sitting sideways um, because there's a bull market thesis that will play out in the future, but that isn't here now. So I play, I play explorers because I think that discoveries can work no matter what. And I'm happy to wait and put my money into developers and producers when I see the market moment actually imminent. So what about the gold space then? If, if you're also looking at potentially the exploration companies there, we can look at some of the majors and they continue to struggle, but we're also seeing smaller and smaller work programs. So that means less chance of making discoveries. What are you focused on in the gold sector when it comes to exploration and discoveries? Yeah, the the status of the market doesn't really change for me um, in what I look for in explorers. It's always the same thing. It has to be, you know, a company that has a clear plan for how to try to create significant value for shareholders over the short and medium term. And I say that and it sounds like a like a low bar. You just have to have a plan. But like having a clear plan requires multiple layers of geologic evidence. And you, know, you have to have a good the, the, tar, the project that has those layers and you have to have access to the project and you have to have permits and you have to have money to drill and you have to have the people who can do it. And the timing has to work and you have to be able to have a back. You have to have a backup plan for what's going to happen if that target doesn't work. And you have to have a big picture geologic thesis that supports all of it. It that simple statement that I made at the beginning encompasses a lot of requirements. And so. Yes, there's absolutely less exploration happening. There's just less money than average going into early stage exploration. Um, and so does that reduce the number of companies that you have to sift through? Yeah, to some extent, because a lot of companies are just not doing anything. And so it's kind of reduced um, only the companies that are closer to having 
that clear plan are particularly active, are able to raise money and have a chance of going out to drill. Um, so maybe it's somewhat helped. But yes, in the gold space, I'm always interested in a company that is either, you know, looking to make a new discovery and I think has good odds of doing that, or I think has cracked the code on like an old discovery that was maybe modest size. But, you know, this, this company thinks that they've cracked the code on on what will make it significant. I'm always interested in those stories because I think, like I say, that those stories like founders, they, you know, they cracked the code on the Antino project and that stock has done phenomenally well in a very sideways gold market. Um, so there's lots, I'm always interested in those stocks. My, my requirements for those gold explorers don't really change. I just need them to have a good reason to do what they're doing, have a good plan for how they're going to execute, have the ability to raise money to do that, have an awareness when they're raising money of the impacts of how they raise money and have plan B's for if it doesn't work, you know, it's, it, that doesn't change. Well, going with the gold stocks, another area that obviously people have been talking at ad nauseum is the huge disconnect in the valuations in the gold stocks versus the price of gold. Now, there's a lot of lip service giving to the rising cost and the margin contraction, but their margins are actually still pretty good overall. There's been a lot of dilution in the sector, and that may be a factor. There's also jurisdiction risk. There's all these other factors coming in, but it really seems like it all boils down to just sentiment. And there's a lot of distractions with other things like the cryptos and ETFs. So there's all these different forces tugging at investors for their attention. Why is it, do you think, that there's such a huge disconnect for, let's say, ounces in the ground right now on the development stage companies or advanced explorers with resources? Have you ever seen it this disconnected from the gold price before? No, I haven't. And it goes back to what I said, which is investors just don't care about metals right now. They they haven't for a while. Gold has done remarkably well. Gold holding its ground during an, an unprecedented rate hike cycle was impressive. But no one buys a sideways market. That's like that's not how you invest. And that gold was like the most exciting. I mean, I, I'm keeping uranium off to the side with these comments, but like gold was the most exciting of them. The rest are just chopping sideways and and not exciting. And so and, and at the same time, investors have all have all kinds of other like arenas with more obvious upside. I mean, like, yes, you can bemoan the leadership of the S&P 500 by the the Magnificent Seven if you want. You can wonder about the valuation of tech stocks and whether it's sustainable. You can worry about that. Um, those th those are all valid conversations, absolutely. At the same time, the, the, the S&P 500 isn't being as insanely dominated by those tech stocks as it was two years ago. You know, there's industrials are doing fine. Pharmaceuticals are doing fine. Like there's, it, it's, it is slowly breadth is returning to the overall markets. And so investors have lots of other opportunities. At the same time, I think there's two other forces that we have to remember, which is on the speculative side, Go back 15 years, certainly 20 years, but go back 15 years and particularly in Canada, but also to some extent, also in America, investors who wanted high risk, potential for high return speculations, always thought about exploration stocks. It was like the go-to thought was, okay, I'm going to speculate with some of my capital. Let's put it into either oil and gas exploration or metals exploration, because if those hit, man, do they hit. Um, and that was a really reliable pool of speculative investors. In the last 15 years, that 
the the number of options available for people who want to really speculate with their money has exploded. You named some of them, but like we've gone through AI and crypto and weed stocks and mushrooms and and NFTs and all these things that have really diluted the the focus of those speculative investors who used to gravitate naturally to resource exploration. So that's been a big factor. The other big factor is passive investing. Why is NVIDIA doing so well? It's doing well for valid reasons, but also because money goes where, when money gets allocated, when huge pools of money get allocated based on market cap, that is a self-fulfilling machine for as long as a, you know, for as long as it lasts. This is the reason why the Magnificent Seven became so dominant. This is a huge part of what's controlling fund flows in the market right now is passive investing. It's not active. It's not seeking. It's not based on fundamental rationales of what should do well in the future. It's just this stock is doing well, so I will buy more of it. This stock is doing well, so I will buy more of it. And guess what? That continues. That keeps the stock doing well. So money keeps going into it. That's NVIDIA. That's what's happening. And so with those two forces, the speculative investors' interest being now spread across a lot of different speculative arenas and passive investing just continuing the rise of these sort of reliable winners that investors are now very familiar and comfortable with, investors just don't care about gold stocks. And we can talk about valuation disconnects till till we're blue in the face. But it doesn't change the fact that they're not interested. What we need is for them to be interested again. And that requires rate cuts for gold and or a mentality shift amongst generalist investors that they now want to broadly position for economic growth, which has been not a thing for a long time. There was only six months ago, certainly a year ago. Do you remember the conversations about recession? Hard landing, soft landing was all anybody talked about. There wasn't talk about, you know, robust growth. There was only worries about whether we were going into a recession. It takes a while to turn a freighter around in the ocean. That's what it is when you need generalist investors to shift from, oh my gosh, we're going into a recession, I need to be careful, into, oh, actually we're in robust economic growth and I should position for growth. So as that freighter turns around and investors start to position for growth, I do think that they will turn to commodities again. It is just the most sensible, obvious arena to buy when you see economic growth, especially if those investors become aware of the supply gaps. And there's lots of reasons that those supply gaps are deep and hard to fix. I don't think generalist investors are generally aware of those reasons why we haven't been building enough copper mines. That's okay. They're generalist investors. They're not supposed to be aware of these things. But if they become aware of them, then I think that that will amplify the move. But I need we need investors to posi- start positioning for economic growth And that will bring some interest into the metal space. That's why valuations aren't there. Nobody cares about metals. Oh, so true. Gwen, you bring up a lot of good points there. And what needs to happen and what just hasn't happened for a long time? Who knows what will turn that ship? Let's just quickly go through some of the companies that you're bringing to that upcoming metals investor forum. People will be able to sign up by clicking the link below, but Give us a little preview of some of the companies you're featuring. For sure. So, I mean, I, I have made clear in this conversation that I am a uranium bull. 
and I'm a big supporter of the uranium market. So two of the companies on my panel are uranium companies. One is Encore Energy, who is, you know, one of the leading stocks in this market. And for good reason, if you want exposure specifically to this uranium bull market, then new and growing production in America is the obvious thing to buy because it's America that needs uranium more than anyone else and has no production of their own. So new and growing production in America. And there's only a few stocks that offer that. Encore Energy is one of them. I think they've done a really phenomenal job in the last eight months of acquiring an asset that, you know, brought on some debt. And then they were, it was unclear to the market how they were going to both pay back the debt and have the capital to put these assets back into production. But then they did some great transactions, um, in particular, selling 30% of one of those assets called Alta Mesa to Boss Energy that and and retiring. And then the market helped um, so that some of their debt became convertible and then that got retired. And now they're 70 million bucks in the bank and pushing, racing towards production at two assets. Um, so really like Encore Energy as um, a uranium stock to ride for this market. It is sort of like provides the answer that this market is moving on, um, to, an answer to the question that's moving this market. Uh, I also have nuclear fuels coming. They're actually a sister, a, a little sister company to Encore Energy that's advancing um, a forgotten ISR target in Wyoming. It was forgotten because for a long time, ISR, that where you leach the uranium out of sandstones in place, that only worked when the sandstones were flat. And so this project that they're working called KC is on the side of a basin. And so the sandstones aren't flat, they're tilted. Um, and so this project, even though people knew there was uranium, it got ignored. But it turns out that new ISR techniques can absolutely handle tilted sandstones. So not only does that make the known uranium viable again, it also means that multiple layers of sandstone, the deeper layers of sandstone that you can't get to, when the layers are flat, because you got to go through too many layers, they're tilted and they outcrop at KC. So there's a bunch of reasons why KC offers the potential to delineate, to produce a, a, a significant ISR amenable resource in a very short order. And then it's within this, like, it's in the heart of the Powder River Basin, which is, you know, ISR production central in America. So it is a short path to new pounds in the ground that could then likely be put into production in this market, like in the next five years. So I like that story quite a bit as well. And I'll just name one other moving over onto the, onto the gold side, which is Scorpio gold. Scorpio is a company that's been around for a long time. Um, its focus has changed over those many years. Um, it ended up um, a bit lost and um, leaderless because it had a mind that, worked but didn't work well enough for them to do proactive mine development by the time they got to the point where you know they couldn't really do more without more mine development the economics didn't work anymore so scorpio got kind of um kind of fell apart at that point because the the mine failed that was called mineral ridge interestingly that management team while the mine was failing managed to convince kinross gold to sell them another project, a different project that Kinross had had tucked away in its portfolio for many years, been many years of conversation of Scorpio trying to buy this asset because it was a really interesting asset to Scorpio. It was adjacent to another project that Scorpio had, which is why they sort of knew about it. Finally, Kinross was moving out, you know, was, was uh, rationalizing its portfolio, so decided it would, it would sell this thing called Manhattan Wedge to Scorpio. Now, 
Manhattan Wedge had seen a whole bunch of drilling from Ken Ross over the years, from previous operators. Scorpio went and drilled a couple holes into it in 2022 and got phenomenal results, like tens of meters of multigram gold. But between a terrible gold market in 2022 and nobody caring about juniors and Scorpio being saddled with this perception of the failed mine at Mineral Ridge, it didn't work. Um, the market didn't pay attention. And so Scorpio was basically withering away when another group ended up buying ground adjacent to that other mine, started talking to them. And now those two groups have come together. The other group was private. So they're coming in and it's kind of a reverse takeover in that the private group is coming in as new management. They're bringing in a bunch of capital. They're bringing in sort of new direction, new life to Scorpio Gold. And the focus is going to be on this Manhattan Wedge project, which is in Nevada and has enough drilling done that, you know, in the next six months, this thing is going to have a resource of open pitable gold that is, you know, significantly over a million ounces at a very good grade, like 1.5 grams per ton. I'm arm waving based on some, you know, back of the napkin calculations that I've done, but this thing's going to be impressive and it's coming out the gates with sort of an 11 or $12 million valuation. So if you like the idea, if you think that open high grade, open pitable new gold deposits in Nevada are valuable, this company is about to surface one of those for the first time to the market. Um, this deposit also has room to grow outside of the drilling that's been done. But the first catalyst that's going to happen is the is that resource telling the market that Manhattan Wedge is a real deal that just got forgotten for a long time. So those are three that I'll mention. Um, and I uh, got others coming. And there's lots of others that friends of mine are also bringing to the conference um, that will be exciting to to hear from. All right, there you have it. Gwen, thank you very much for taking some time sharing your thoughts on portfolio management and a little preview into the upcoming Metals Investment Forum. I'll post a link to that Metals Investment Forum website so you all can register and attend either live or virtually. Gwen, we'll chat again next month. Have a great rest of your week. Sounds good. Thanks so much for having me.